This episode originally aired as a part of my other podcast, Project Shadow. Over there, I have been doing world-building content for a while, and I'm currently moving it all over to this new podcast. New episodes will be appearing soon. I am currently making all of my old content, including World Building 101 and World Building 201, available on this podcast as Season 1 and Season 2 of Myth Weaving. I hope you enjoy, and don't forget to have the fun. Magic appears in a lot of genres. Magic appears in a lot of stories, and a lot of ways that, when you think about it, you realize, oh wow, that actually is magic in that story, isn't it? But magic can have a lot of problems and a lot of holdbacks. So I would like to talk to you today about magic, magic systems, the different ways magic can be inflected into a story, and how magic can be misused for evil. And I don't mean by your wizards. On today's episode of Project Shadow. Hello everyone, how are you doing today? My name is Charlie, you might know me better as sci-fi fantasy writer C.E. Dorset, and today we're going to be digging into magic systems, and this is probably going to be the beginning of a long series, like a whole sub-series within our world building 201, because, oh my goodness, there is so much to talk about when we talk about magic systems. Now, I want to start off by saying, if you would like other people's opinions about this. Brandon Sanderson has done a wonderful series on the YouTubes about magic and how he does magic systems. Tim Hicks has done a brilliant series of videos on his channel, Hello Future Me, and I highly recommend it, not to mention his book on world building. But we are going to approach this from the beginning. We are going to go back a few steps and talk about magic and how it actually works in stories, why you may or may not want to include it in stories, and kind of build from there. Because a lot of the resources that are out there just jump right in, and trust me, that's what's going to be happening in future weeks on this podcast. But for now, I think it's important to start at the beginning. Magic has always been a part of folklore and a part of our tradition. In fact, when you look at the very first fantasy stories, you see people using phrases like fairy story to talk about them. And fairy tales have always been an important part of our lore. From the gods of ancient Greece and Egypt and Sumer and everywhere else in the world, to the heroes of legend. Even when it's subtle, like in the tales of King Arthur and the Knights and Nimue and Merlin and Morgana Le Fay, or if it's ever present, like in the stories of Ireland, Scotland, and Wales. It can be subtle, it can be profound. The first thing to remember is what magic is. Magic is the attempt to exert the will over the world to control it. That is a basic definition of magic. It's not the only definition of magic. There are a lot of other places that you can go and a lot of other ways that you can go with it. But basically speaking, 
Magic occurs when a character voluntarily or involuntarily exercises their will upon the universe and causes an action to take place. So a Jedi using the Force, that's magic. A wizard casting a spell, that's magic. Somebody telling a joke and getting other people to laugh isn't, because that's telling a joke. That's joke craft, not magic. Somebody waving their hands so that in a specific arcane manner that incites giggling in those who see it or to whom it's directed at, that is magic. And I want to make that distinction kind of clear up front, because when we talk about this broad definition of magic is any time that we exercise our will upon the world, yeah, that can be applied to anything. And if in your setting you want it to apply to anything and everything, do it. More power to you. But don't limit your imagination. The hardest part for me in getting into a new fantasy series or a space opera or a Magipunk series is when magic is, well, set up as different, odd, strange, in a way that feels more like they're talking to the reader than to the other characters. So beware of that. There are many ways that you can put magic into your stories. There are a lot of ways that you can put magic into your worlds. And you need to be considering this from the very beginning. Before you even get to, is it going to be a hard magic system or a soft magic system? And don't worry if you don't understand what those words mean. Over the course of this series, we will get to all of them. And trust me, there will be some deep dives. But before you start asking those questions, you need to ask yourself, why is magic here? What is the purpose of magic in my story? And how do I want to incorporate this? If you've never read any magic realism stories or stories of, its, of that kind, then you may not be familiar with this beautiful style of writing where magic is mundane. It's natural. It is part of the world. It is part of the fabric of everything. And so a ghost just happens to walk through the house. Of course, a ghost walks through the house. There is a world in an oil slick in a puddle in a city street. You wake up in the middle of a thunderstorm and there's an angel crashed onto the ground outside your home. None of this is seen as odd, out of the ordinary. Because the world is filled with magic and we are just living within it. And that is an oversimplification of magic realism. If you really want a deep dive, I would, I'll, I'm willing to do that. I will want to read up and make sure that I can cite sources and stuff for you, but I can definitely do that. But then you have your spell casting magic. You have your magic is a plot contrivance that allows me to move the story forward and allows for deus ex machina endings. You have magic as a real social cultural artifact that begs questions asks questions, answers questions. You see, to me, if you want magic to really feel natural to your story, then it should be part of the fabric of how it works. Whether that's the martial arts that you find in a wuxia story, or 
people waving wands at each other. It should feel natural. It should feel as though the world without that element would be missing something. If you don't do that, you're going to be running the risk of having people question really hard why your magic system is even there. So start here. Why do you want magic in your story? How is it going to progress? How is it going to fill the world? We're not even talking about the limits yet. We're not getting into any of those questions yet. We're trying to get philosophical here. Because so many writers don't start with the philosophy of magic. You really need to do that. For me, I like wildness, and I believe that there is a certain power living within us. And for me, in most of my stories, magic is a Dionysian principle that comes to life through the characters, whether it's their passion or their emotion or a strength that they cultivate within themselves. Magic is power. Magic is glorious and strong. And that's how I see our emotions. You see, I go back to Joseph Campbell's idea that we have all these subtle energies moving within us, love and hate and lust, desire, fear, hatred, jealousy. And each of these is like a magic. And so by discussing magic in my worlds, I'm very often discussing the psychology of the characters or how they interact with the world. Do they operate with ease and just wave their hands and candles light? Or do they struggle against the natural course of things and thus find magic really hard? Are they lying to themselves and cutting themselves off from magic? So ask yourself, why do I want magic in my story? What is it revealing? We talk a lot about the mind of the story. Magic should be one of those unconscious elements. Maybe it's the spiritual element, the emotional, the logical. It could be any of these things. In fact, in the Pillars of Reality series, it's the logic of the world. And I absolutely love that. So ask yourself, where in the story mind does magic fit? Is it a threshold guardian? Is it a trickster? And once you've located it there in the heart and soul of the story, you'll be ready to move on and actually create a system. Beware the pitfalls that come from tying magic to race. This is happening less and less over the years because people are starting to see through the problems that it causes. But racism often gets baked into our magic systems without us even realizing it. And sometimes we do realize it and don't realize that we're using it to make the counter-argument to what we're trying to say. She who shall not be named in her Harry Potter series accidentally undoes all of her arguments by the way she employs magic. Because, yes, magic is random, technically random. Anybody could be born with magic. But magical families do tend to produce magical offspring. I understand there are squibs and everything. But, well, 
Non-magical people rarely produce magical children. And as a result, when you hear people arguing about being true bloods, pure bloods, it has a ring of truth to it. Because magic is preserved in the blood. And so why wouldn't people with magic, this ability to wave a wand and cause miraculous things to happen, why would they not think that they're special, that they're superior? To me, that's the one great flaw in the Harry Potter books. There's no valid argument given against Voldemort other than, you know, being a fascist is bad. Because, <laughs> yes, 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 we all agree, being a fascist is bad. But it's hard to argue against this basic premise. If you have magic, you are special. If you have magic, you should be able to do whatever you want, right? And I'm not saying that I take Valdi's side, but, you know, th there's a kind of a problem there, isn't there? So be careful when you're designing your magic system that you're not accidentally baking racism into it. We see this all the time, be it through exoticism. Oh, those exotic people, they have the magic. You see this a lot with elves. Elves get treated this way a lot. Well, we don't have magic, but those elves, those magical, beautiful, tall, svelte, thin, gorgeous people of ethereal Nordic beauty, they're the magical ones. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Did I say Nordic beauty? Well, you did make them tall, thin, blonde hair, blue-eyed. Oops. You have to be careful. Because <laughs> if we're not, we might accidentally be arguing against ourselves. Or we may be making arguments that we don't intend to make at all. Or, you know, for some people, we could just write the mud people into our stories and just be ra a little bit racist. I'm not saying, but you know. I had a really hard time reading that part of the book because uh, that's a little, that's a little much. But you have to be careful. That's what I'm saying. Don't allow yourself to fall into this trap. There are reasons that particular families might have a particular style of magic because they pass a grimoire down from generation to generation and it collects the collective wisdom of their people. So I'm not saying that there aren't valid excuses or reasons for magic to be held in a lineage. But when you tie magic to blood, well, it becomes really difficult not to be like, and the people of the all-holy blood are special and greater and better. And that's not a good look. It's never been a good look. But more and more people are finally waking up to exactly how bad that is. And there are a lot of other problems that you can have with magic. But this one for me is a biggie because I see it a lot, even in modern books where we exoticize our elves and then do the whole racial purity thing for magic. And yikes, don't do that. Sexism is another common problem when it comes to magic. 
And I'm just saying, I, I don't mean to be harping against she who shall not be named, and I feel like I do that a lot, but there, I do have a lot of pet peeves, especially with her magic system. For the most part, most of the women that we see in the Harry Potter books do domestic magic. Tonks, as much as I love her, is always doing cosmetic magic. Molly Weasley is generally cooking or doing other domestic things around the house. Hermione, yes, gets to be good at everything, and I'm not saying that it's a universal truth and that her works are sexist, but you have to watch out for those sexist tropes getting into your magic. Now is the time I should go into talking about the Wheel of Time, but I'm not. (laughs) I'm just not. Robert Jordan was trying to create a story to show the problems in the traditional narrative of the hero's quest. And in so doing, one of the things that he really highlights is the problem of gender-based magic. And I'm not going to talk about that. Daniel Green has done some good videos about that on YouTube. If you want to learn more, I suggest that you check out some of his work. But when we're designing our magic system, when we're devising our magic system, it, it can be really interesting to see how we bring our concepts of gender in. And this may be something that I am overly sensitive to as a non-binary person. I tend to see gender binaries glowing as if with radioactive fervor. So every time I see one, I just kind of cringe a bit. And it happens way more than you would think. Even in popular television and in popular novels. And I'm not here to call anybody out. So that's why I'm really not naming names for a lot of things, except for really popular things like the works of she who shall not be named because I couldn't do anything to harm her book sales any more than she already has. But when you're designing magic, okay, you may have reasons that magic is gender-based. That may be a thing. First of all, just know your science and know that gender is not a binary. There's not just men and women. For goodness sakes, even in the Bible, there are six named genders. And I know that comes as a shock to a lot of people because we read the Bible in English and we don't take into effect what other words meant. But yeah, many cultures have named many genders for a very long time. And science has come to see that gender is not rigidly binary. So When you are creating a binary in your magic system, be very careful because, first of all, binaries want to default to good and bad. They do. And when you have a gender binary or a magic system based on a gender binary and you are allowing everything to, uh, well, devolve into problematic stereotypes, people will start taking sides and yeah you see where the problems come in. So be careful making your women do all of the domestic magic. That, that may seem like something that doesn't need to be said, but go back and rewatch some of your favorite fantasy movies or read some of your favorite fantasy books again, and you will be surprised how often that happens. 
even in the new Star Wars trilogy, the I actually like. I think it could have been better, but it, it was fine. Ray is an extremely talented gymnast, a lot more than she is a sword fighter or user of the force. And that is an accidentally sexist thing. Mainly because they're wanting to bring more of the Clone Wars into the film world, where we see the Jedi being a lot more active and acrobatic in all of the things that they do. But since they just are introducing us to one new Jedi because hashtag Finn's a Jedi, why didn't they tell us, show us that Finn was a Jedi? Finn is a Jedi. <laughs> he, he, he will eventually be a Jedi if they have any wisdom in them whatsoever. But it, it does come off a little weird that, oh, so Luke learned how to fight and she learns how to be a gymnast. I'm just saying, be careful with it. Be careful when you're creating your fiction that you're not colonializing someone else's culture. And I'm going to say it that way rather than appropriating because it's more appropriate. There is a difference between using a mythology from the past and using someone else's culture verbatim to add flavor to your world. Don't do that. Don't do that. If it is an active, vibrant culture, be very careful. Be respectful. Don't don't be a jerk. And at least, if you're going to use it and you are not a part of that culture, definitely get a sensitivity reader. But also, maybe don't pretend that it is some exotic thing that you're adding to your world for spice. And do some research. We see this happen all the time with a lot of writers who make simple mistakes like believing that all Native American cultures believed and practiced the exact same things. And they didn't. They were distinct cultures from distinct people groups that had distinct languages. So, no. They weren't a monolith. Any more than saying European is a monolith. I'm sorry. I get really frustrated when I have to talk about this because I feel like this should be such a relic of the past. And it's not just with Native American topics. It's with a lot of cultures, be they Polynesian. I see this a lot with Polynesian cultures where outsiders encounter them and want to explore them without trying to understand the culture itself and thus start making broad generalizations. And it can really be detrimental and harmful to your work, not to mention rude and insulting to the people that you might think that you're honoring in your story. So, just be careful with this. There are so many tropes that have gotten into science fiction, fantasy, and horror, the main places we see magic used, that are not exactly right. 
and good. They've become traditional, like the use of gypsies, which is problematic in a lot of ways, but especially for people like me who grew up on gypsies in our stories and like them and want to include them, but know that the Romney people are not someone... They're not characters to be played with. They're not figments of our collective imagination. They're a real people group. There's actually several people groups. And to lump them all together with the racial stereotypes that were born primarily in France and England, to include them into the stories is wrong. We need to do our research. We need to make sure that we're not just colonializing and sweeping in and saying, this is mine. And be very careful about it. (laughs) I am trying to find the balance in my own fiction for this. I want to include more characters from Africa and characters from native traditions in my urban fantasy setting. And they are not appearing because I have been in negotiations with various groups to try to learn more about them, finding out where I can get resources and use them to add them in. Because I don't just want them there for ornamentation, and I don't want to abuse cultures that I am not a part of. And I'm not saying that to virtue signal. I'm saying that because that's the responsible thing that we as writers should do. If you are not well-versed in the cultures that you're talking about, you probably should not use them. If you're not getting sensitivity readers from those cultures to read your work and make sure that you're not being offensive, and I mean readers, because what doesn't offend one person may really offend others, then you might not want to include that in your story. And that's, that's a hard place to get to in our own heads. But it's something that we need to start asking ourselves very hard before we include some of the harmful tropes that exist in fantasy in our own works. Beware magic, for it has many a pitfall. And it does. From accidentally turning goblins into anti-Semitic stereotypes, to over-Aryanizing our elves, to being extremely racist with our orcs. We've talked about this on the podcast before when it comes to the species that we put into our settings. But there aren't a lot of people talking about it as an issue when it comes to the types of magic that we include in a story. And we need to be careful. We need to be cautious. We need to do everything in our power not to feed the beast, not to make matters worse when they really don't have to be. Because there's enough racism, sexism, and colonialism in the world, and if we're going to do anything of value and merit in this life, dismantling those systems should be a big part of it. So I get really nervous when I see people using voodoo in a story, for example, because often they're not looking into the Odishas, they're not learning about the culture, they're not 
seeing it as anything other than a caricature or stereotype that they've learned and inherited from movies and other fiction. And that's sad because voodoo is a real religion. It, it, there are practitioners. There's resources that you could go to and actually learn so that you use it properly. And I think the same is true for Wicca, though I do not see Wicca and witchcraft as necessarily synonymous because, you know, there are stringing witches, there are Wiccan witches, there are a lot of different kinds of witches in the real world. Alrighty, this was kind of a heavy episode, <laughs> and I didn't intend it to be when I first started outlining it because I just wanted to talk about magic systems, and then I started thinking about all the ways that magic systems can go bad. If you have any questions about these problems, or anything else, and you'd like me to answer them, in the show notes, you'll find a link to the voice message system. Keep it short, keep it clean, so I can use it on the show. I would love to hear from you. If you'd rather hit me up on instant... On instant... I don't even know what I was going to say with that. On social media, I am C.E. Dorset on both Twitter and Instagram. And you can find links to everything that I do over at projectshadow.com. If you'd like to support me and my work, you can head over to Patreon. In the show notes, you'll find links to my Patreon, listener support, and coffee for one-time donations. I have started posting my novels over on Wattpad. So there's that. <laughs> I am really excited about this. Thank you for everyone who has been supporting the work that I'm doing. You all mean the world to me. And if you don't have any money right now, and, or you don't feel like giving, that's perfectly all right. Don't feel any pressure. But if you know anybody you think would like anything that I do, please share it with them. That helps out more than you could ever possibly know. I'm continuing to stream on YouTube as well as putting original videos over there. So definitely check that out if you have a chance. And one of these days, we will live in a better world and I won't have to say this constantly. Black lives matter. Black trans lives matter. Trans identities are valid. They are. They really, really are. We are valid. <sighs> May you have the courage to ride your dreams into reality. And until next time, don't forget to have the fun. Bye. <laughs>